Social media promises a lot, but we are finding that these promises are mostly empty. There's much peril in a life that is devoted to technology and the image that we have online. Today, we're going to be talking about the benefits of quitting social media. I'm Casey Fletcher, and this is season one, episode 15 of the More Beautiful Life Collective podcast. Thanks so much for joining me as we create a life we love and cultivate a heart for God. Now, I need to tell you something about myself that's going to help you kind of understand everything that we talk about today. First, I hate Facebook. I truly do. The moment that I find my finger mindlessly scrolling, checking posts, going down rabbit holes, reading vitriolic comments, and wordlessly debating as I get sucked further in, I truly hate it. It's like a black hole of social media. But what I found is I found myself doing the same thing over and over again, the same routine. I pick up my phone to do something productive, maybe reply to a text, do Duolingo, find a recipe. But somehow before any of that has gotten done, I'm scrolling through Facebook and five to 10 minutes have gone by and I've gotten sucked into this social media that I hate where time has no meaning, but is gone, never to be found again. That's the thing I hate the most about it. It's social media's ability to distort our understanding of time. Think for yourself. How many hours, days even, have you lost to the mindless scroll of Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok? I mean, it's convicting. And honestly, it makes me feel a little bit disgusted with myself. In episodes three and four of this season of the podcast, We talked about the relationship between us and our technology. Now, I am not a Luddite by any means. As I sit here, tapping away at my keyboard with my phone in arm's reach, I've always had the latest gadgets and I love the ability to do a voice to text reply on my watch as I type an address on my phone to give me directions towards the next Starbucks, which I order with the click of a button and drink while I listen to my favorite podcast. Well, okay, you get the picture. Technology has multiplied in my life and I reap the benefits of it. But is it truly all benefits? Is it truly worth what we are giving up? As I've listened to podcasts and I've researched on the internet and even read a a few good old-fashioned paper books, I found a concept repeated again and again, and it's this. It's the promise versus peril idea, which means what is the promise of technology and what is the peril of technology? What are the good things and the dangers, the benefits and the detriments? The promise is the picture that I painted for you. It's the convenience and it's the freed up mental power of having everything that I could want or would want to know at the click of a button on my computer that rides around in the back pocket. It's the medical innovation. It's the variety of entertainment. But what's the peril? If I asked, many of you would probably have a quick response, no matter what the level of your technology usage is right now. You might say that the peril is how we're making ourselves stupider uh, through the discourse of short form media like Twitter, oh, sorry, X, and TikTok. We're amusing ourselves to an intellectual death, to borrow a term from uh, Neil Postman. We're divided and frequently we're divisive ourselves. We're ever connected and yet increasingly isolated. We are dying deaths of despair. 
Too often though, our conversations on technology end here. We, we shake our heads and we think, ah, this is our lot in life. This is, this is all that we can do. Well, what can you do? You may mutter as you pick up your phone and you start scrolling again. I've written about some of these effects on our mental health as we've increasingly turned to our phones for all we need in life, for companionship and entertainment and information and meaning, we have been sucked into this little black box that we worship because it mirrors the best parts of us back to ourselves. And we fall asleep with it curled up in our arms. We may sound a little bit like Gollum from Lord of the Rings whispering my precious as this blue ghostly haze invades every minute of our wakeful hours. But what are we sacrificing for this thing? And honestly, do we even want it? Do we even want this that we're giving up so much for? Facebook and social media, they've really taken everything from us. For one, it's taking away our precious time, but it's also taking away our precious memories in the form of the pictures. It's taken away our ability to converse deeply about topics. It's taken away our knowledge and our information and our news. It's taken away the ability to share one's updates uh, with your family, with your friends in person or in a letter or something more personal than shooting it out across the internet. It's taken away phone calls and letters. It's taken away the desire to be truly involved in someone's life more than a like or a comment. We have lost so much in this rise of technological revolution that we don't understand. It seems like this promise was grand, that we were able to be connected at any point to anyone that we could possibly want, whether it was somebody that you knew from high school or somebody uh, that is your third cousin once removed, you could keep up with them for the rest of your life and you could see their most personal pictures posted at any point. You could get status updates about whatever was going on in their mind. But our faces smiling in a posed portrait edited for the most pleasing aesthetic took precedence over this true connection as letters and phone calls fell further and further out of fashion. (laughs) What does a Christmas card photo really tell you about the state of my soul? We've lost so much connection with each other. And yet, despite these words, you know, I still feel the pull for one more hit, one more scroll. We're addicted but we're living in a world that acts like this is addiction is okay. Normal even. If you're not constantly on your technology of choice, which I recognize for some of you may not be social media. It could be the games on your phone. It could be video games. It could be news or television. But if you're not on this technology of choice, you are the odd one out. In our group, we're pressuring ourselves into a corner where we will eventually lose out on those precious things that were taken from us for good. Even now, researchers are crying out for parents to put down their phones and turn off the TV and turn and talk to their children. In Giving Your Words, it's a book by Sally Clarkson. She writes that the average amount of time that parents spend talking with their children is 36 minutes a week. This is not a day, a week. It seems like we're hurtling towards a crash and we can't seem to break now. It's almost like we have no control. It's almost like we're addicted. In Dopamine Nation, the author discusses some causes of serious um, addiction and the practices that she used to help break people from those addictions. 
and to eventually overcome them. And she draws this parallel between these cases of severe drug, alcohol, and sex addictions and the addictions that we all have to our food and our entertainment and our technology. I talked a little bit more about this on episode four of the podcast. We talked about the way that technology affects our brain and that it really affects our brain in the same way as a drug would that some of the brain scans look almost like a heroin-addicted brain to um, when it's compared to these brains that have severe technology addiction to where they're spending 8 to 10 hours on technology a day. Screens, they trigger this dopamine in our brains. And when we take away that dopamine from our brains by choosing not to indulge in this technology of choice, we're going to experience those same feelings that those who are addicted to other substances would the world will seem almost grayer and there's going to be an intense yearning for that thing that you want, that social media. It's almost like a twitch, like you desire it. The great problem is that we recognize the perils of technology and we may even desire to stop using them so much, but we lack the willpower required to make that significant change on its own because you're going to have the same kind of symptoms that somebody who's addicted to something else would, where you're going to want it, you're going to desire it, and you're going to find yourself using it again, even though maybe your, your, your mind, your will says, no, I don't want to use social media so much, but your body, your brain says, who cares? And you use it anyway. I think we have a lack of discussion around this topic because we lack the language to talk about it. We may say that people can be addicted to technology or addicted to social media, but it's not really something that we're looking at as an actual problem. Instead, it's something that is just like a turn of phrase. And I think that this is, this is a huge issue. I see this a lot. Uh, we talk about the, this whenever you are watching the shows. You can look. There's shows on Netflix and things like that, documentaries about this. But there's a vaping problem with uh, teens, middle schoolers. And one of the things that the kids are doing is they're using these vapes because they think it's cool. It's just, you know, it's edgy. Uh, it tastes good. But the thing is, is once they start to use it so much and they up the nicotine count in the vape, then they start to realize later on, it's like, oh, I'm addicted. And so maybe they don't even have language to begin with of like, why do they feel this need to go vape? Like you would have kids leaving uh, class to go to the bathroom and vape and they might leave, you know, three or four times or try to go in every single class to go get a hit on the vape. And the thing is, is they don't realize even, it's not even in their brain that they're actually addicted to this thing. I saw in college, uh, if you go to any state school, uh, or any school probably really, uh, you'll have a group of people that want to drink all the time and, you know, go out and every single night they might be drinking, but what they don't realize is they're in that process. They're getting addicted to alcohol. They're becoming alcoholics because every night they're going out to party and they're getting blackout drunk. And then they develop this dependence on alcohol. But I think the thing is, is whenever you're that young, you don't realize that the thing that you're doing is you're getting addicted to a substance. And I think as a society, we've gone through this. We didn't realize that what we were doing at that time is getting addicted to the substance of technology. It's just the thing that we do, that everybody's doing. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. It's something that now we've actually become addicted to technology. But because nobody's saying it, we don't see an issue with this. It's just what you do 
if you live in this modern society? How often has anyone around you or anyone that you listen to online, anybody that you follow on Instagram, has anybody said, hi, I'm whoever and I'm addicted to my phone? I just don't hear that very often. I think sometimes you can see people saying, I'm taking a break from social media for mental health reasons or whatever. But it's very rare to say, hey, I'm doing this because I recognize that I'm addicted to it. I feel like I need it. But it's definitely it's definitely an issue. Maybe some people are not that, you know, they have their phones, but they don't feel that pull to it. But I remember one time, you know, kids, if, if they have a phone out in class and they're not paying attention, sometimes teachers take away their phones. Sometimes parents argue with that too. But uh, one time I took away a phone and this was back my first year teaching. So this is back in 2018. But I said, you know, give me your phone. I'm going to leave it out and I'm going to leave it on top of the desk. And she was only, you know, a couple feet away. And I said, it's on my desk. This is just so that you pay attention to me. And she literally said, because it wasn't on her person or in her hand, she said, I feel like a part of me is missing. And she wasn't joking. She was being serious. And I feel like a lot of us feel this way, where it is the thing that you check, you, you, always have to have it on you. And if you don't, you feel like something's missing. I think without proper language of actually saying, this is what this is, naming the problem, our ability to change is always going to be stunted because we don't recognize that we have a problem to begin with. We don't admit ownership over our vices and we live in denial. So this is why I've decided to admit it. So, hi, I'm Casey, and I'm addicted to my phone. I'm addicted to social media. And this is why I've come to that conclusion. So, over the years, I've grown to hate Facebook. But even though I dislike it, I can't seem to stop using it. Every time I pick up my phone, I go through the same routine. I'm drawn to click on social media. Just this past week, I was trying to do something, and I opened up my phone, and I was already thinking, you know what, this is not good. This is not something I should be looking at. But without even knowing it, noticing what I was doing, I opened it up, and I found myself looking at Facebook. And that really was the last straw. There's been times where I've been in the middle of an event or conversation, an outing, a trip that I've been looking forward to and I want to do with my family, with my friends, and I found myself clicking and scrolling through social media. I've tried to set clear boundaries and say, okay, 45 minutes a day, which to me, that sounds like a lot, but 45 minutes a day or less on social media. But sometimes I would say, you know, if you set those screen time limits on your phone, you can always just say, ignore for today. And so sometimes I would surpass those because I just wanted to keep scrolling. Uh, Sometimes my screen time would creep up and up unless I physically place my phone out of sight. It's almost like if I was holding my phone, I was going to be scrolling on social media. And when I didn't spend time on social media, I found myself get twitchy. I don't know what the term would be, but basically it's uh, where I was thinking about scrolling. Like I'm wondering what I'm missing out on. I'm starting to get a little bit anxious. I find myself tapping the screen my screen for updates. So you know how your screen, if you have an iPhone or just any kind of phone that has, you know, just a flat screen instead of a flip phone, which who has a flip phone anymore? But you know, you just tap your screen and it lights up. And so you find yourself tapping your screen to see if there's any updates. And I started to question like, why do I even need to have these boundaries? And so the last thing that I found is when you don't spend time on social media, things seem to be kind of grayed out. Uh, It's like you need that stimulation for something or you feel a little bit depressed. And that's what I mean by that, that term grayed out. I mean that you start to feel 
a little bit depressed, a little bit aimless, a little bit listless. And the thing is, again, you can insert anything, any type of addiction or any type of uh, thing that you try to find meaning in or find um, this kind of um, fulfillment in. It could be, again, video games. It could be news. It could be TV. But it's anything that you're trying to turn to in order to give you that dopamine hit. It could be food. It could be alcohol. It could be any of these other things. But for me, social media is something that I didn't realize that it was causing me to feel this way. And so whenever you take yourself off of social media, and then you might have some of those feelings of withdrawal because you are off of it. So as I read through this list, you know, honestly, I kind of cringe at how obvious it is that I have a problem with my phone and with social media. But the thing is, I've also been actively working on this problem for years and talking about it. A couple years ago, we talked about, you know, technology usage. I did a class last year at church and I talked about technology usage. Uh, I've tried before I've tried to limit my screen time and say, okay, I'm only going to get on my phone on Fridays. Uh, I tried to limit screen time at home over the past year um, for my son. And what I found is like, even whenever I was limiting his screen time, I was still using my phone and using social media. And those numbers would always creep up. The other thing is in many respects, I'm doing better than some with my technology usage. You know, I've even been complimented on some of my screen time habits from some of my friends. And I'm thinking, okay, how can this be? And I think it's just because as a society, this is so normal. You know, if I look at my screen time and my screen time is between one and three hours, for me, that seems like so much, but really I feel like that's an average amount of time, or even it kind of dips into the low amount of time, depending on who you ask. I think we all have this kind of relationship with technology, unless you're being really mindful about it, and you've done the work of intentionally setting those boundaries. We're all addicted to it in some way. And again, it could be phone games for you, or it could be social media, or it could be YouTube videos, or it could be uh, the TV at home. We all have this kind of relationship with uh, technology, and we have to get serious about setting boundaries with intentionality if we want to use this technology as a tool instead of it being lord of our lives. So, as I've said for years, I've tried to set boundaries for myself from using technology. But even though they work for a time, I've always felt like they just start over time, the boundaries kind of get blurred, and then that time on my phone starts to creep up over and over again. And most of the time it's without me even wanting to. It's just that slow kind of like, oh, well, it's okay if I do this. And then eventually the boundaries are completely gone. Recently, I've started to question why. Why am I even on Facebook if I know that I don't like it? And again, I use Facebook. Basically, I mean all of social media, all of the technology, anything that you feel like is a time suck that you feel like I don't even really want to do this thing, but I do it anyway. I've started to question why I'm using it. I first got my Facebook whenever I was in high school, which shows my age. For some of you guys, that seems really young. For some of you guys, that seems really old. But whenever I was real young, uh, MySpace was a, was a thing that was like back in like elementary school for me. And then Facebook became popular towards the end of my middle school years 
towards the beginning of high school. And so right around that time, you know, I was in middle school whenever like Blackberries were a thing. And then everybody got an iPhone by the time that I was in high school and graduating uh, from high school. So that was really that first big shift. And the thing with Facebook is most of our parents were on Facebook. And so I remember, you know, before you turned 13, all the kids, they would get on their parents' account and then you would like comment saying, oh, this is, you know, your name or whatever. And so everybody was commenting using their parents' account, but using it with their voice. And it was kind of funny, but you would see all the kids using it. um, And then it was like a big deal whenever you turned 13 and you got to have your Facebook account. And so we all, as children, joined this thing that we really didn't even know what the effects of it would be. And so it became a very big part of your social life where depending on whether you had your account yet or not, you would still get on and you would chat. Uh, You know, instant messaging was popular like in elementary school. And then in with Facebook, you would do like the direct message. And so we would chat before, after school, you would post these status updates. Um, Snapchat and Instagram became popular towards the end whenever everybody got an iPhone. Um, But I didn't have a smartphone until I went to college. That was like my big graduation present. And so I didn't really learn the ropes with those, which is probably why, you know, Facebook is something that I've used more than like Instagram. But I think they function all in the same way. They draw us in with free, mindless content, uh, mindless entertainment, with a claim to connect us with who and what we love. But that promise is empty. So when I started using Facebook, I did it for the sole purpose of connecting with friends. And I think a lot of us do that with any kind of type of media, whether it's playing Fortnite or uh, if it's uh, commenting on Facebook, you're trying to get together with your friends and other like-minded people. And for us, it was also that herd mentality of teenagers. It's that if you want to be in the in crowd and doing what everybody else is doing, which every teenager wants to do, you want to do what everybody else is doing, then you had to, in my case, participate in Facebook. And after that, it never stopped. Everybody's still doing it. And it's almost like this thing of, if you want to be in the in crowd, you need to be on the thing that everybody else is looking at. So, you know, I've seen over the years, you know, Vine was really big whenever I was in high school, which now it's like, what's Vine? Some, some kids actually like, will go and look at them because I think some of them are on like YouTube, um, those old videos. But then now I've seen, you know, the kind of shift towards TikTok. So that was something that, you know, I never got to be a part of. Uh, Because that was like whenever I started teaching and so my students were using it. But the thing is, is you can see how if you want to be in the know, you have to be on this app. And if you choose not to be on this app and, you know, people are sending you videos and things like that, like you feel like you're missing out on something. And so, again, it's still this like herd mentality. But what they're doing is they're trying to get people using almost as like teenagers. So, Normally, it's the young kids that are saying, hey, this is the thing that we're going to use. And then once you get somebody using at that young, you're going to rewire your brain where you feel like you need to have that thing. It's the same thing that they're trying to do with kids vaping. They're trying to get kids in middle school and high school, which middle schoolers are definitely vaping. If you don't think they aren't, you don't know what's going on. But they're trying to get kids at a very, very young age addicted to nicotine so that whenever they're older, they'll keep using it. And I think it's the same thing with technology. You're trying to get kids at a very young age using 
this social media so that you feel like you need it. And now that I'm older, it's just the thing that you do. Everybody's on there. And so if you're not on there, you're going to be missing out on certain things. It just seems like, okay, well, you have to have a Facebook or social media, but you feel like, okay, I need to limit my usage by having firmer boundaries and more self-discipline. But I think the thing is we have to ask ourselves why, like, why do we have to have Facebook? And I know that part of it is just because that's what everybody else is doing. But I think the other part is that we're afraid of some of the consequences that come from quitting social media. Facebook and other social media, they give this promise of connection. And because of that, it's ruled out other ways of connecting with people. Something that I've been thinking a lot about is how, you know, we have phone calls, but you also have letters that are just things of the past. People sometimes still call call each other and I recognize that. And sometimes you'll send a thank you note as a letter. But I think that we've decided that those are so antiquated that we're not really going to get to know people deeply that way. Instead, the way that you keep up with people is that you post on social media. Your photos are also stored there. So these precious moments that we're afraid of losing if we decide to deactivate our accounts, it feels like you have to stay on there. Otherwise, all of these moments are going to be wiped away. One of my close friends had his Facebook account hacked and then it was deleted and he was heartbroken. And part of that was because he had pictures of his kids. It's become, you know, this storage device. Instead of storing them on your computer, we were like, oh, they're all on Facebook. And so these pictures it doesn't seem as big of a deal if you lose them. But that just means that you feel like you have to stay on Facebook. It's like we're strong-armed, held hostage to keep these accounts because they hold the key to the thing that we love the most, our feelings for our family and friends, both through checking in with them and also through the memories that we have of them. A popular comedy show, they did a sketch of this, and in the show, a character was canceled because of things that they said or did, and the character got rid of social media, but it made it seem basically like he was a ghost, like he wasn't alive anymore. He didn't exist if he didn't have an online presence, and that's honestly sometimes how we can feel, that if we don't have these these pictures and these photos that we have on Facebook, like, did they even happen? Did they even exist? So we face that choice today, where we choose to either in this world that we've created and we continue using it despite the obvious drawbacks that we face or we live a life that's out of the loop because there's consequences to not using it as well and obviously the most obvious drawback is that if we don't use social media we're removing ourselves from our primary source of information I honestly believe that social media for many people has replaced TV, newspapers, radio, magazines, the gossip train of phone calls and face-to-face conversation, letters, and everything else. I think that there are some people who don't use it. And so if you don't use social media, maybe you're still using these other ways of finding information. But for most of us, we use social media as the way that we contact people. So it's the way that I contact people from my church. It's the way that I see any local news of places that are opening or closing. It's the way that um, I get information about my family. There's been times where I'm like, that I feel like I need to check Facebook to see if anybody has uh, 
had babies or gotten sick. I mean, it's really the way that we pass information along, both for our local news and our family, but also for the world. And so because of that, we don't take part in some of these other news outlets and things like that. It's the primary source of information for our lives. And so I wonder if that's one of the reasons why we feel like we need to document, you know, things on social media, because it's almost like it happens and it's real if it's on social media. And if it doesn't take place on social media, then it almost didn't happen. And so I, I feel this push and pull myself. I feel like if I want to build an audience for this podcast and the blog, that I have to post it on social media, that that's what makes it real. But... I feel like, okay, if I don't do that, then nobody's going to listen to me. But I recognize that social media itself, it doesn't produce really listeners or people engaging with content in any meaningful way. Instead, it's just scrollers. And so I think it really, it takes time and a lack of information, a lack of a glut of information to delve deeply into a topic. And that's the exact opposite of what happens on social media. On social media, there's so much information that people are pressed for time. And so they continue scrolling so they can see as much as possible. So I think that if we choose to stop partaking in something that we feel morally and ethically ambivalent about, we can finally begin to reap the rewards of a life that's not dictated by social media, technology, and screens. I think quitting social media, it means that we're going to lose out on some things. We're not always going to be the first people to know what's going on. We don't always get that dopamine hit. Uh, We can't always check out and scroll uh, if we need to wind down. Uh, We may miss out on some funny memes and videos sometimes. But we also get to take back other things. And in that way, we gain so much. I think the first thing that we gain is we get back our time. So again, check your time, your usage on your technology. How much time do you spend on social media or TV, video games, your computer? You could use that time to connect with your family, to read a book, learn a hobby, work on a side hustle, make your house a haven, exercise. By choosing not to mindlessly use technology for entertainment, to not be cyber zombies, we're redeeming our time to use for the glory of God. You also get back your connections. I remember one time I was trying to limit technology. Like I mentioned before, I was trying to do just Fridays for like 15 minutes. And I went to church the following Sunday and we were all talking and, you know, we started talking about one of our friends who had moved away and they said, oh, you didn't see she's pregnant. And instead of it being news that everybody rejoiced at, that it was kind of like, oh, this is something exciting or something that she was contacting us. Instead, it was just like a, how are you so out of the loop? Don't you care about that? Uh, I think that if we can take back from social media this idea of you just kind of broadcast your information and, you know, people can hear about it that way and instead bring back, you know, these phone calls or these letters, these announcements, I think that would be something that would be so much more meaningful and, you know, relationship building. Another time I was talking with one of my friends and she, uh, said, oh, I saw that you've been liking my posts recently. And it was almost like the likes and comments on posts were evidence of a relationship, regardless of the actual connection and conversation that took place in real life. And interestingly, when time got busy and I wasn't able to, you know, spend as much time on social media or whenever I was trying to limit my social media usage, uh, the relationship kind of iced over. Liking and commenting is an arbitrary thing to do. 
It's evidence of nothing. Like, yes, it's good. If you want to share this podcast, please share it on social media right before you delete it, if you're going to delete social media. But uh, truly, it's evidence of nothing. It's a messed up nature of our modern society that says that it means something. A true relationship is conversations and deep talks and meals delivered. It's showing up for somebody, not doing something on your phone. I find the same when it comes to long-distance relationships with family and friends, We assume that pictures posted to keep our friends and family in the know is enough. But this picture does not show the state of our souls and what we're worried about and what we need prayer for. We've lost that true connection with family and friends, especially with people who live far away. When we need to see each other again after a long time apart, it seems like there's no need to catch up. So then you miss out not only on the conversations you could be having over, you know, the months that you're apart, but also on the conversations that you have when you're together because you already feel like you know what's going on. But you don't really know what happens with that person, even if you have a timeline of events, even if you have a picture. And the last thing we get back is our ability to think deeply about topics and information. As I've said, social media has taken the place of a lot of other avenues of information. And because of those, it's made those things obsolete. But as both Neil Postman and Nicholas Carr have talked, what they've talked about in their book is that we think differently online than we do when we engage with a different type of material, especially print material. I think social media exacerbates this. I can't tell you how many times I've thought about a certain, a certain way about a book or a movie or a show. And when I read reviews about that thing, my perception of that thing changes. Social media encourages groupthink about anything, and it can take your enjoyment out of that thing, whether that's the holidays, the news, or your favorite movie. If we choose not to participate in social media, you have to replace it with something else, which means that you have to find alternative avenues of information in a world that's dismantled these things. There's very few magazines and newspapers left. Magazines, I think, are one of those ways that, you know, social media, we've turn to social media to hold all of this information. And so because of that, magazines seem obsolete. But what you'll find is if you say, okay, I'm going to get off of social media, then you have to find another way to get all of that information now. Families don't regularly send letters or even really do phone calls and group texts anymore. This ways of getting information may require more effort and time for us. You have to intentionally pursue them. So just like I said, you know, magazines have kind of gone out of fashion, but one of the things that has replaced them is I think groups on Facebook, where you can go to a group on Facebook, you can add yourself, and then, you know, people post questions and get recommendations and all these kinds of things. And so that is one way that I've learned how to do a lot of different stuff, especially like cloth diapers. I've learned how to do um, some stuff with freshly milled flour, which is very tricky. I've learned homesteading tips. You can do like troubleshooting, problem solving, all that kind of stuff for a lot of these topics that you're interested in, which is great. But what I found is I can't limit my time on Facebook if I'm using these things because you get your information from these groups just by scrolling. It's just random in the algorithm when they pop up. And so that means what I'll have to do is actually research a topic if I'm, if I'm interested about it through the internet and through books rather than assuming that I'm going to cr- come across that through a random scroll. So I think that there are ways that you can get these information 
but you just have to be more mindful and intentional about it. So at this point, I'm not really sure what the ultimate outcome of me quitting social media will be. And I'm not sure if it's going to be something that I'll do forever, but for right now, it seems like the best option for me. I can't use social media with the boundaries that I've created. And so saying I'm not going to use it anymore is, I think, ultimately the goal that I have to, that I have to set for myself. But I recognize that for certain people, the only way that they're going to get access to things like my blog or uh, the podcast are if I use social media. So as of right now, I'm not going to delete my account. Instead, I'm going to try to use, there's different apps and things that you can use that'll post to social media without you actually having to be on social media. And so that's what I'm going to do right now. And on top of that, I'm also going to keep some other sites that I do like that I don't find myself just mindlessly scrolling through, but that I use as a resource like Pinterest and YouTube and Goodreads because they offer different kind of information. I think this is where it's not a hard and fast rule where everybody under the sun has to delete their Facebook because some some people may not face the same kind of things that I do. But I think it's something that we all need to be more mindful of. So here are some baby steps towards quitting social media or at least using it more mindfully. So the first step could be that you choose not to look at the comments unless you can give someone a meaningful recommendation or idea. Another way that you could mindfully use social media is to curate the people that you follow on social media to be those that you care about or get something of value from. So a lot of times you you know, on Facebook, I think right now have like a thousand friends, which again, I don't add everybody that I know either. So I know I probably have less than probably other people have. But what you can do is you can say, well, I'm only going to follow the people that I really want to be updated from. And so that is a way that you could try to limit some of the negativity on social media. You can set boundaries on your social, social media usage. So again, saying I'm only going to use it on Fridays or I'm only going to use it for 15 minutes a day or something like that. Um, Setting boundaries is good. You could get rid of certain social media apps. So say I'm going to delete Instagram, but keep Facebook or whatever. Um, You could also delete social media apps on your personal device while not deleting the whole account. So again, I can get on it on Facebook. Uh, so I have access to Facebook Messenger and a couple of things with the blog, but I don't have it on my phone and I don't want to look at it on my phone. One of the things that I found is you have to make strict rules about that because I know that at one point I deleted it off my phone, but then I would get on my web browser on my phone and go to it. So you have to just make sure that if you are wanting to be serious about this, that you make sure that you're very explicit with yourself about the rules. Otherwise, again, those boundaries will get kind of grayed out. You could delete all your social media accounts. And then if you want to be extreme, there's one guy that I was listening to a podcast about, and uh, he said that he, you know, crawled up on his roof and he cut like the Wi-Fi thing, um, his cord off so that he had no Wi-Fi at home and he spent a whole year without Wi-Fi and he loved it. He said it was great and he recommends it to anybody. So, you know, if you want to take it a step further, I'm not doing that right now, but that could be an option too, that uh, the more that you get into this very limited technology lifestyle, I think most people are very happy with that. Another way that you could do this is you could, um, without getting 
rid of Wi-Fi at home is to get rid of your smartphone. So I've also heard of people doing that. Um, they make kind of smart, dumb phones. So basically, they still have access to like podcasts and um, you have access to like Google Maps, but you don't have access to some of the social media apps. And so that's another way that you could more mindfully use social media. I think any amount of being intentional with technology is a step in the right direction. And that could be being more intentional with technology while still using social media. We could choose the amount of time or types of social media, but just by choosing and setting boundaries, we are taking power back from social media and technology. We're putting it back into the role of tool instead of Lord of our lives. As we head into Advent season, this is my way of kind of fasting in order to focus on all of the great things that we've been given through the gift of Jesus. And I'm hoping to spend this holiday season with a clear vision and an attitude of gratitude. What about you? What's your relationship with social media? Do you think you would benefit from quitting social media or a different type of technology? Or maybe just choosing to fast from social media for a season? Let me know in the comments. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review to help others find the podcast. I'm Casey Fletcher, and I hope you'll join us next week. Until next time, keep creating a life you love and cultivating your heart for God.